This is Giant. I got your visual. Come in, Mike. I'm standing by for you. Roger. I'll be there in a couple of mics. In the meantime, get him out. You are listening to the Men Among Men Stories Podcast, Episode 3, The New Year's Special. Starring myself, Hank, and my voluptuous host, Mr. Bindu. Eh? Hank to you, too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Post-New po- Year's oh, yeah, Special, I guess. Post-New Year's Special. So, we are recording this because, unfortunately, we had a Christmas special actually prepared and good to go for you guys, but due to technical difficulties that are largely our own fault, uh-huh. <laughs> podcasts is lost to the ether. We had discussed a lot of interesting things during that podcast. We won't bore you with all that military history mumbo-jumbo stuff that... It honestly wasn't that good of a podcast. There are some interesting things we talked about, but... So we're we're experimenting here with a new mic. We're experimenting here with a, a new way of recording, basically, and hopefully this sounds good for you guys. Uh-huh. So it's been a it's been a hell of a year. Uh, we've obviously we can't release that Christmas podcast. Sadly, we talked about some some fun things there. Yeah, we talked about the Battle of Bastogne. We talked. Yeah, about... we we had started with Bastogne, and we had talked about the eggnog riot. Yeah, we talked about the eggnog riot. We talked about uh, Sam Sam Sharp in Jamaica. Sam Sharp and the Great Jamaican Slave Rebellion. I think it was called the Bishop's War is the official name for that one. Preacher's War, something like Because they were preachers. Yeah. Yeah, That was an interesting one. That ended up ending slavery in the British Empire. Yeah, it was one of the major catalysts, uh, along with William Wilberforce. But that really sort of gave the sort of much-needed push to topple the so-called peculiar institution. We talked a bit about the Battle of Hong Kong. Operation Linebacker. Yeah, we talked about Operation Linebacker. A, a very rare battle that both sides claim is a victory. Or and you, operation, you talked about the weird Vichy French uh, invasion thing. Yeah, no, the two, the two islands, which are still owned by France, which are off the coast of Canada, which are Saint-Pierre and... The one starts with a G, Guillemot or something. Guillemot, yeah, Guillemot. Guillemot. And they uh, received a basically bloodless occupation on Christmas Day in 1942. Yeah, it was a weird war off yeah. the There was also the uh, Confederate Cavalry Raid in 1862. Which, the Turkey Raid. Yeah, stole a bunch of turkeys from the Union Army. So unfortunately, the only way to listen to that podcast is to be a member of the Buyers Club because that's where it was recorded live, but we actually have completely bungled the other uh, recording of that podcast. So if you're not in the Buyers Club, unfortunately, you won't get to check out that podcast. If you do want to check out that podcast, consider joining the Fire Force Ventures Buyers Club. You are, by the way, still exclusively listening to this podcast on FireForceVentures.com and our friends at CommandoBlog.com, the, the hosts of this Men Among Stories podcast. I think we should probably take a step back and, and give a little bit of introduction about ourselves and what our goals are for this year moving forward with the podcast. We can talk about, of course, what happened through through 2020, which was quite the year, yes. and maybe discuss some of the future books we will be looking at. So, Mr. Bindu, why do you say, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's just something I say. You know, some people say hello, some people say hi. I have very bad hearing for some reason, so I say, huh? 
That's you say, so, okay. That's really all it is. I have bad hearing. Right. I don't know. So you actually have a history degree. Yes, I do. I have a... What, what, what got you into history in the first place? Like, why Why are we looking at these stories? I know why I am, but I'd like to well, ask you. Just a little bit of uh, background on me. I've I've always been kind of interested in history, but it was never really my main focus until I was about 15 years old. And I, I read a book on the Second World War by a British historian called Roger Morehouse. And that just basically propelled me into, first of all, looking at sort of World War II, but also looking more at... I also really started reading the DK military history books. They're sort of... They're aimed more at for definitely the casual sort of fan of military history, but they're sort of a good introduction for young people. Definitely as a kid, primary school and stuff, I remember the DKs. Yeah, Knights and Castles was one of my favorites. And then side is similar. Yeah, and they had, for a bit older ones, they had ones that were just called Battle... Or war, or but they were they were huge books. I still have some of them, which talk basically about like warfare from ancient times to the invasion of Iraq in two thousand three. So that is uh, that is sweet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and basically just in high school, I decided this is something I want to do in university. Now a lot of good it did me, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, university history degrees are very very useful. Yes. For, yes. Totally, totally, totally what all employers are looking for. But I did have five years of sort of interesting classes and learning how to research properly and all that jazz. Which is very important, which is actually quite important. So that's sort of my background in history and particularly military history. What is yours, Hank? Yeah, you mentioned the DK books. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Get into those. They're like crack for five-year-olds and then... yeah. Next thing you know, you're playing with toy soldiers and G.I. Joes, and then yeah, exactly. you're into the military history. I did the sea cadet thing in my youth, so that got me into, I guess, naval traditions and naval history. Nelson uh, to, to Jutland, basically, was the name of the game for us in terms of what we learned as kids. I uh, did a little bit of time in the Canadian Army Reserve, Met some crazy people that got me into Rhodesian brushstroke, and uh, here I am, you know, running Fire Force Ventures and doing this podcast where we look at all these these stories that, that for me, like, relate back to the material history of the equipment that these guys use in the various conflicts, notably the Rhodesian Bush War, right? Yeah, I would say you're definitely more of the sort of material and yeah. technical guy, and I'm, totally. I'm a bit more interested in, I'd say, maybe the the politics and the societal aspect of the conflict, but I think we complement each other well on that. Politics is for losers. Yeah, no, it is, but it's just, it's interesting seeing what motivated people to fight, I guess, is a better way I should describe that. Like, why did men go out and fight? And you're more like, what? Did, how did they fight? Because they got to what? wear a cool kit. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, <laughs> for some of them, that literally is it. Yeah. They got to they gotta wear cool uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. That's why everybody joins. Everybody joins. Yeah, Ask no. a Marine. Yeah, exactly. Dress blues, drop yes. panties, right? Yeah. You wouldn't understand, Mister, <laughs> Mister, Mister. But politics are the most important. No, I never said it was the most important. I said it's just an interesting aspect. You're the reason why 2021 is going to be a bad year. <laughs> For reference, guys, I do I do chirp on Bindu. I do rib him a lot in real life. Probably more than more than more than. He'd care to admit, but I do rib him a lot in real life. 
You're, you're not shaven right now. You look like Jesus. <laughs> you look like you look like a, a French Foreign Legion Jesus right now. That's what he nice. looks like. So I bug him. How out. how is that a rib? That's a compliment. Okay. <laughs> Maybe like I don't know. What's worse? You look like Make fun of the fact that I wasn't, uh... Santa Claus. You look like a young Santa Claus. Maybe. Okay, we'll go okay. with that. That still feels pretty Bindu nice. has a huge beard right now. Again, guys, we apologize for straying from our standard programming just because of the fact that we did have standard programming in military history, which we will get back to in... through 2021, but this is, uh... This is what we can muster right now for New Year's Day. Hopefully you guys are having a good New Year's Day, by the way, because it, it has been quite the year. It has been very, very bad for a lot of people. Obviously, we've had the China virus wreaking havoc on the world, kind of at different times. So November, December, that was when China, mainland China, went into its lockdowns. And then in the West, it was kind of February for us, I think. I'd that's say that's more when it hits. Yeah. yeah, March. Late February, early March, it started hitting us with lockdowns. And then in places like uh, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Russia, they started getting into their lockdowns in the summertime. Just as we started leaving our lockdowns in the summertime, kind of coming back to a little bit of normalcy. Uh, woo, I just. I don't know how the pen did that. That was strange. We'll keep that in the podcast. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, I'm. We fidget with a lot of things during the podcast, too. Yes. We fidget with knives and, and pens and stuff. And pens and we'll, we'll talk about the knives we fidget with in a sec, because they're yes. fun. But, anyways, back to coronavirus. <laughs> as much as I don't want to talk about it, it did affect uh, my company, Fire Force Ventures, which, of course, you are kind of independent from. You were yes. the boss of the podcast. I'm an independent contractor. Yes. Actually, no, you're not. You're you you own the podcast. That's you true. actually don't do own the podcast. True, I am a yeah, you're true a partner. partner, you're a partner so, of the podcast. But independent contractor sounds cooler. It just it makes you sound like a. You merc. think you're, you think <laughs> you're a merc, yeah. yeah. When in reality, you're just discount discount Santa, yes. discount Jesus, discount Santa. mall Santa, mall Santa. Yeah. yeah. You know, See, mommy, that's a chirp. <laughs> mommy, why isn't that Santa's beard white? Yeah. I think it's good enough. Why does he cool. smell of cheap beer? <laughs> Isn't he supposed to be happier? <laughs> he doesn't look very happy. So, so anyways, uh, for myself, with all the production stuff we've been doing this year at Fire Force Ventures, we, we got hit with a lot of production delays and shipping delays, customs delays. Everything was just delayed because when we started doing a lot of our big projects in the summertime and we kind of came back to normal, as far as like, having employee shifts and stuff and having guys in and working again, basically nothing worked on the other side of the world. We had all these projects on the go in, in South Africa and Sri Lanka, Pakistan, India, getting stuff made, trying to get stuff made in Canada, which was kind of a lost cause all, like from the get-go. It just stopped. Like Everything stopped at different times. So the world was came to a halt. We got hit by a second wave of lockdown sort of this fall. Yeah, yeah. well, just now, basically. Yeah, win winter, fall. winter fall. Winter fall, yeah, we got 
hit by a second wave. It's been about two weeks since we, three, two, three weeks since we got hit by the... It's been a while since we've seen each other, actually. This is the first time we've actually seen each other in a few weeks, just because of the lockdown. Yeah, face-to-face. Yeah, hitting us, and we were were trying to figure out how to record a podcast in the middle of all this, and... And what we should talk about. What what we should even talk about, yeah, and uh, this is what it's come to. We did have a little bit of excitement back in November when Armenia and Azerbaijan went at it. Yes. Had, a, had a little kerfuffle. And yeah. by kerfuffle, I mean like 4,000, 5,000 personnel dead and a bunch of tanks exploded and some crazy wicked combat footage and tank battles in the Caucasus. That kind of a kerfuffle. I, th- I think we should all thank the Caucasians for giving us something other than COVID to focus on in the news <laughs> yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah. Yeah, Caucasians. No, that means like just white Caucasus. people, right? What's what's the Cauc- Caucasus people? Caucasus people of the Caucasus. Yes. What should we call them? Cox. Trans. Trans Cox. Trans Caucasians. I think is the official term. At least that's what that whole area was called around yeah. World War One. Let's see how let's see how fast uh, SoundCloud kicks us off for talking about trans Cox. <laughs> trans Cox killing each other. The Transcock War, also known as the, what is it, the Nagorno? Nagorno-Kakarna War, I think. You're probably butchering that pronunciation, but just Wikipedia it. There was a war, Armenia-Azerbaijan, T-72s, T-90s clashing, BMPs, aircraft, Russian aircraft was shot down, it was super crazy. It just kind of ended last month, so we're still kind of learning about what happened during that conflict and the tactics employed and all that, so we probably won't get into too much of that there obviously isn't a memoir of that conflict just quite yet it's very recent but i'm sure there will be because like that it it looks like it was a pretty gnarly two months tank like we haven't seen really uh, outside of that that specific region kind of industrialized nations going at it conventionally like that as a lot of the wars of our generation are counterinsurgencies or, or low-level insurgencies I think there is a difference between like a big kinetic counterinsurgency war with like in Afghanistan, obviously in two thousand one, mm-hmm. two thousand two, and then versus something like Northern Ireland, which is like a low level insurgency. Yes, so there, there's like different tiers of insurgency, and we've just seen insurgency wars basically. Well, and also one thing that is that's happened sort of over the last seventy years now, whether this is a good or worse thing, will be up to the discretion of the future, but we're seeing less state-on-state wars and more civil wars. Would you say that's true? Like, yeah, things like Syria, true. Yemen, that kind of stuff is more common these days. And I'm, I'm hugely generalizing now, I understand that. But is more common than a state-versus-state war. Yeah, I think... Eastern yeah, Ukraine absolutely. is another example. Absolutely, yeah. I think the idea of the national identity is getting balkanized. Everything's a proxy war now. Everything's a proxy war. Partially because of nukes, partially, but there's I think there's there's something else at play. People are getting more information than they ever have, so it's easier to kind of associate yourself with some sort of a tribe or a, a smaller subgroup within a nation. Nations within nations within nations, nationception, and then we have these interesting tiny, tiny little groups causing a lot of havoc. I think we could say Wilsonian nationalism, which was huge in the 20th century, is kind of on its way out. That that's that's a concept that's far beyond the military history and the subject. I don't, I don't of this think podcast. so. No, I don't think you so. Don't because think so? like Versailles. Oh, it's the, tied the, the, into the modern. Yeah, the modern 
international system. And at the end of the day, all this stuff about warfare and and politics. This is not my quote. Like this is Carl von Clausewitz. No, no, no. This is not even close. This is a. Is it Clausewitz? It's 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 war is wars. the continuation of politics. Yeah, that was Clausewitz. Um, that's Clausewitz. Okay, yeah. so it is it is Clausewitz then the, the Napoleonic general. War is continuation of politics by other means. Yes. Right, and it absolutely is. All this all this cool kit and stuff and surplus that I sell in my business is all just at the end of the day leftovers from bad politics. You have my coconut. I want it back. <laughs> oh yeah. Basically, from Grug and Mugrug. Yeah. When they first fought in 40,000 BC over the Great Red Cave versus the Great Yellow Cave, who had the better cave, it was just some stupid political debate. Mm-hmm. Our coconuts are bigger than your coconuts. <laughs> we, we now need, we need like Captain Caveman in Rhodesian brushstrokes. <laughs> we need to make that a thing. We're not implying Rhodesians are cavemen. No, we are but not. But we have, I have met some of you guys, and some of you guys are, <laughs> some of you guys are tough grugs. <laughs> I, I say that in the nicest way possible. How how's your year been? I mean, not great to be honest. I, other other than other than starting a cool podcast. Yes, the podcast part is great. That's been probably the best part of my year, and I am you know working on other stuff too. And I actually I published a second book this year, so What's, I didn't. What have, do you want to plug it? Sure. Yeah. No. It's the tale of the two swords, and it's on Amazon. It's a sort of fa- high fantasy book if you like Lord of the Rings or. The Wheel of Time, that kind of stuff. I feel like there's a lot of high fantasy nerds that kind of go into military history. They just, you know, the Warhammer people. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, the markets, the markets cross. The, mar- the markets definitely cross. So, yeah, if you guys like that kind of stuff, please do check out my book. It's called The Tale of the Two Swords. So it's, it's a kind of late medieval, high medieval period fantasy. Yeah, more or less. Tale of Two Swords on Amazon now. Yes, it is. So yeah, I didn't have a totally bad 2020, but I will say it's been a rough year on everybody. We, we've all lost money at some point. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, no kidding. We've all lost, no most of us lost jobs. I was, some of us lost people. Like yeah. it's just, it's been a bad year. And that I mean, I think everyone has come out of this year a little bit depressed. Certainly I have, and just wanting this all to be over. Yeah, I was supposed to be in Texas right now. Yeah. Wearing Rhodesian brushstroke short shorts that haven't been produced yet because everything's delayed. I am not in Texas. I am in Canada. My truck got stuck again today yeah. because the weather's bad. Oh, horrible. Hor- yeah, horrible we've actually been hit with fall. ridiculous weather. And I, I say this now, like, having ridiculous weather. I mean, like, today, because we, we are going to be releasing this podcast the day we recorded it. So this is this is basically... As live as you guys can get, unless you're in the buyer's yeah. club. Also, both of our cars got smashed. Yeah, we lost both of our vehicles. Yes. So my car blew up. <laughs> yeah, and mine can be recovered, but it has... It, it kind of it blew up. It yeah, blew up, yeah, it had some issues. Our cars blew up. <laughs> yeah. We might be fighting a low-level insurgency. Someone's going after our cars. Yes. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. Like, there's like crazy anti, anti-car environmentalists. Yeah, led, led by this mysterious Justin Trudeau blowing up our vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> I'll refrain from I'll refrain from the uh, political statements. Yes. <laughs> that was not a political statement, or I was not implying it, anything. It's satire. It's satire. It's satire and, and purely <laughs> ironic. I wholeheartedly support the Canadian government and its COVID lockdown measures, and it, I fully support. All environmental measures. I love Canada, and I plan to stay here as long as possible. 
I only wish to move to Texas. A terrible, awful place with a poor business environment. So I can educate Texans about how much better Canada is. Yeah. Just for the record. Just just, just for, for the, the record. record. Yeah. Let's talk about our knives. We should talk we, about our uh, knives. We play with a few knives. We they're they're basically the Fire Force Ventures company knives, but we've kind of mm-hmm. commandeered them. We just kind of play with them whenever. whenever. So let, let's talk our about the first, first one. first here is an American special. Yes, the M3 Trench Knife by Bocker. So I don't think we have one original knife here. So the, this guy, we're looking at it now. It's got a leather handle. It's basically issued to dudes that had either the M1 Carbine or the M1A1 Thompson in a U.S. infantryman squad. Normally that'd be radio operators, NCOs. In the Marine Corps, that was, they had kind of like assault units where everybody would have an SMG or carbine. There's a guy, Graphica Mechanica, they show basically the, I guess, the layout of an infantry section or infantry squad or platoon or company. Over the years, different militaries. So basically, in the Second World War, you had most of your infantrymen in the U.S. Army with an M1 Garand. And yet a few dudes with M1 carbines and Thompson submachine guns or M3 grease guns, and they would carry this M3 trench knife because their shorter carbines or SMGs did not have bayonet lugs, so they couldn't put bayonets on them. So functionally, they still needed a knife of some sort, and that's what the M3 trench knife is. It's very similar to the M1 carbine bayonets. We actually have in front of us here a M... I guess it's an M1 carbine bayonet. Mm-hmm. It, I guess it can work for an M2. Yeah. Because later, because the M3 kind of filled a weird niche purpose of being an intermediate knife. It's a cool knife, by the way. I love using it to chop off boxes. It's like really solid. And, and Bocker there makes a really good reproduction of it. Should- Leather handle and, and original sheath and all that. The sheaths are pretty close, actually. If you look at the original sheath and the... The new sheath here, we're looking at it yeah. side by side. It should be mentioned also the, the M1 carbine bayonet is almost identical to the other knife. Yeah, so the, the story with these, we're going to have those on the website. I don't know about today, but you know maybe by the 2nd here. So if you're listening on January 2nd, we might have these on the website already. We came into some of the original M1 carbine bayonets. Because of the fact that M3 trench knife was kind of weird, some of the M1 carbines got bayonet lugs later on. And it basically looks like an M3 trench knife in terms of the dimensions and stuff, the side by side. Has a socket. Yeah, it just has the socket for that lug to go in. It just kind of clips in. If you guys are familiar with, I think it's the M9 bayonet for the M16 service rifle series. It's it's more or less identical. So they're they're nice knives. We'll we'll have some of those uh, M1 carbine knives. I think they're Italian Army issue. They're all serialized and all that up pretty soon. Now what's what's up next there, Bindu? Up next is the Ontario knife. The Ontario 499, classic U.S. Air Force survival knife. Hopefully we'll have more of those in stock. Those sell pretty quick. Basically this little thick chungus of a knife. It's like a short <laughs> knife, but it's a chungus because it's designed initially for uh, cutting through aircraft fuselage. This looks like something you'd fight a bear with. I've heard stories <laughs> of people fighting bears with it. Now, I wouldn't want to fight a bear with it, but it's, it's a big enough chungus yeah. And I could probably do the job. It comes with a sharpening stone and everything, and mm-hmm. just like a thick little 
little airman's life. It's interesting. Seen... It's called an Ontario when it's no, that's the company. Knife. It's the company. Oh, okay. yeah, the yeah. Uh, Ontario Knife Company. So oh, they're right. based in the U.S. though. Yes, interesting. Yeah, and they've been making this. Uh, OKC Ontario Knife Company's been making these since, well, probably Second World War. They've got a long history. They're pretty iconic. They've got a very distinctive look. They've got this like pouch for the sharpening stone at the front. They've got a leather leather handle, leather sheath. I've I've even seen, very famously, the guy who was a Soldier of Fortune magazine photographer in Rhodesia wearing one, roughly 1978-1979, uh, going out on a Fire Force mission. Yeah, I think he was armed. He had like a weapon, but whatever. It was SOF in the 80s. They're super sketchy dudes, and uh, they're they're like wannabe mercs essentially doing their thing. And this photographer guy had had the 499 strapped to his shoulder. It's a very famous... Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I've seen... I've definitely he's got seen the helmet this picture on. before. Yeah, because yeah. it's a it's an unusual photo because he's got a jump helmet on. You don't see too many pictures of guys with their jump helmets unless they're, like, preparing for a jump in Rhodesia because most yeah. of the times the guy's patrolling or in contact. Yeah, they're wearing, they're wearing keko caps or, or toques or whatever weird manner of headdress not not a whole lot of helmets so it's kind of a weird one because he's just standing there with a helmet on and a 499 strapped to his shoulder which also you don't see too often so the next one you just pulled out is a and we play with this one the most probably yes fn bayonet for the south african designation fn the r1 it's a shitty bayonet leave it (laughs) at that but it's fun to play with yeah it's not at all sharp it's a piece of crap I don't know why they made it. I think 308 packs enough of a punch that you shouldn't need a bayonet. It sucks. It faces like the wrong direction. It's the worst bayonet ever. But it's cool because it's like Rhodesian South African because it's original. So we play with it. Worst bayonets, I think, would probably be those plug bayonets. Those were like, when they first created bayonets, they actually would plug the barrel of the gun so you couldn't fire. Or the muzzle, I should say. Yeah, so like right down to the muzzle, right? Yep. Yeah, the, the, that was like a 17th century thing. Though. Yeah, that's sort of like, like a... muskets were. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Still though, I, I I can't help but thinking that would be. Yeah, you basically annoying. just you have to take it back behind the lines to like a workshop to get the bayonet out. Yes. You basically hammer it in and turn your your matchlock or whatever into a pike. That was the theory, and it just sucked because it defeated the purpose of of. The firearm, especially since pikemen were also so common back in those days that like they didn't. The reason they developed bayonets was to get rid of the need for pikemen. But yes, in if you're looking at something like the English Civil War or uh, later towards like the wars of uh, King Louis the Fourteenth, when sort of these concepts were first being, I guess, floated, you don't really need them. You've got uh, you've got pikemen for stabbing people. Stabby, stabby. Yeah. Let's talk about the last stabby here yeah. real quick. Uh, more of a cutty. I, I really <laughs> love this knife. It's my favorite. The little workhorse that could. The Okapi. The Okapi. The Okapi. Uh, with this one's like the, I think, like the razor variation. Or like yes. the box cutter variation. Yeah. Uh, too bad Fire Force doesn't carry too many Okapis nowadays. But uh, they're, just because they're imported from South Africa, and it's kind of they're kind of annoying to deal with to, to get into the country here. Maybe that'll change when Fire Force Ventures is finally down in Texas, but this this little knife is, is pretty hot. We wish we could show them to you. Maybe one day we will have enough money to have a video podcast. 
but currently we suck and are doing out of a basement, so we do what we can. But we'll describe it to you. It's a also with you in Texas and me in Canada, that would be an expensive video. (laughs) It's the most expensive video ever. But we can maybe do it. Support our subscribe star, guys. So this knife is just a folding knife. Very simple. Honestly, more simple than a lot of like like a sog folding knife, for example. You just open it and open it and close it. Yeah. Used by workmen in South Africa for generations, and because they were so cheap, they kind of have a reputation now of being kind of like pickpocket slash mugger knives in in Southern Africa because they were so cheap. Okapi also makes farm implements like machetes and sickles and stuff like that. Also used for muggings in South also Africa. Used for mugg- <laughs> also used for muggings in South Africa. So they they have a bit of a reputation because they're cheap. And they're readily available. They look pretty cool. They're the kind of knife that I think would be perfect for somebody who, like, worked on a boat or something. Like a clasp knife. They're a very good example of that, I think. I suppose, yeah. But you've never worked on a boat, so you wouldn't know. Uh, I've Have you? kind of worked on a boat when for about a week when I was 14. Oh, really? Yeah. No, my... Okay, uh, I didn't know. Yeah, this you're, was like you're a, more, it was like a field trip thing. You're more but, nautical, yeah. nautical than I thought. Yes, I'm more nautical than you thought. All right, I, I should take it easy. I didn't realize I was sitting in the presence of Lord Lord Admiral Nelson. <laughs> Lord Admiral! <laughs> My goodness. Yes, Poseidon. This, this beard is the beard of Poseidon, yeah. king of the waves. You spent... You spent Oh, one week on one week on some research vessel, probably. Basically, yes. So it's a research vessel. Yes. Which basically makes it ten years on the victory. <laughs> That's the equivalency, right? <laughs> At least it's what you probably tell yourself. Yes. Okay. So yeah, we just we just play with a lot of knives, drink coffee, chill, and and talk about history. We've we've got a lot of books coming up in future podcasts here, which we're very excited about. We uh, do indeed. Next up is going to be And We Go On by Will R. Bird. That's coming in two weeks. We're going to be releasing that episode. Mm-hmm. It is ready to go. It, it's going to be sweet. A lot of you guys have already listened to it, that podcast in Buyer's Club. We were both almost in tears at the end of recording that one. It was, it was really good. It's a very moving book. Yeah. And then after that, we have an equally moving book, kind of in a different way. But equally moving, Storm of Steel by Ernst Younger. So those will be out by the end of January, both of them. Look forward to those. We, we put a lot of work into researching them and a lot of time getting getting those podcasts right. But they're, they're, they're top-notch. We, we can guarantee you, you guys will enjoy those, especially if you enjoyed the, our two-part look at Fire Force, the first two episodes. If you haven't listened to those already, please do, because Fire Force was also quite quite the book. Yes. I think it was a good one to start with. Yeah, no, it's, it's. I think it's the best one we could have started with. Definitely, this is hosted by Fire Force Ventures. After all, so we might as well do a book called Fire Force. We just have to, have to find a book called Ventures now. Yeah, there has to be some sort of be, book called Ventures. Be a that's bad an book army about, book about lesbian werewolves or something. Lesbian Ventures. werewolves. We should do a podcast episode on lesbian werewolves. Yes, we should just change it. I don't think the people want military history. They want lesbian werewolves. Hey, maybe there is some, like, you know, remember the SS werewolves? The the partisans in Germany after That was kind of a meme. Was oh, it was a complete was utter a meme. meme. But by meme, what if by we... meme, for context, we mean, like, bad. Yeah, <laughs> we, oh, we, yeah we don't mean, like, joke. funny... Yeah, we mean, like, yeah. literally funny joke. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. No, yeah, the werewolf resistance was really, really... Even compared to, like, the weakest elements of the French resistance, which themselves had kind of a... Well, we can especially talk especially, especially compared to, like, it, the yeah. Polish resistance, which was oh, yeah. very, very hardcore and very, very professional. Yeah. The French resistance, no disrespect meant, was not nearly as It's competent. like, um, <laughs> it's like the Poles are like Muhammad... Like, the Poles are like Muhammad Ali, yeah. and then the... SS werewolves are like Jimmy Urquhart. And you might ask who Jimmy Urquhart is. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. the SS No, but where I was going there. with that is perhaps there is an SS werewolf couple of lesbians for some reason in the SS in the werewolves. the SS werewolves? <laughs> yeah, so we could, okay. we could technically, technically, there's a very small 0.001% <laughs> chance we could do a podcast well, on guess, lesbian werewolves. I guess we'll have to do research on lesbian werewolves and their... This is what a history degree is, honestly. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's stuff like this, it's, it's, it's just weird. That's why I don't like academia. I mean, maybe they'll make sense down the road. It's like people yeah. who like are biologists that study the reproductive organs of jellyfish or whatever and it's just like why <laughs> so why what is this what is this a benefit i'm sure it, like it may it might you never know right that's the thing that's the thing with history too like you, you study these weird topics and then you learn a lot about different disciplines and how they apply to military history there's a reason why there's so much stuff obsessive stuff on like the psychology of adolf hitler like mm-hmm. people are obsessed with that man Everything that ever, everything in his childhood, every like like every minute of his life, his itinerary of his entire life is dissected. You go ad to nauseum. you go to any bookstore into a yes. history section. Hitler, a third of it is going to be Hitler yeah. or World War Two. Yeah, four hundred page book on Hitler when he was six. <laughs> yeah, right? basically, right? Literally, Hitler, Hitler in kindergarten yeah. as a six year old. You know, there's even books on like the pets of Adolf Hitler. I've seen them. I've heard his dog was the true mastermind behind it all. Was <laughs> <laughs> his dog named Blondie or something? No, just this it's this tiny <laughs> little German Shepherd. <laughs> no, I, I think he had a big he had a big German Shepherd. It's in the videos. It is. I think it was Blondie. Yeah, yeah. No, it's Some Blondie. Yeah, Blondie was truly the mastermind behind yeah. everything. That's why that's, they called them werewolves. <laughs> that's why they called them werewolves. I think that's why you know. There's, I understand the method behind the madness when you dissect things or specific things in, in history or military history at nauseum like there's a benefit to it at times i i couldn't I, I don't know how people write those books it's hardcore there's a reason i didn't try to become, become a, a professor. professor with my degree just because yeah because i find it interesting enough just to read about okay this is what the world was like this is how people thought this is what they did We're, because that yeah that, that's what i was trying to get at the beginning of the thing not yeah. necessarily because it's important which emperor which political party did what or whatever it's important in that it's it's just interesting to see like these these stories basically of humanity unfold. I, I don't think there's, though, you can find one definable great lesson to it. I think that's sort of a dangerous path I think a lot of people try from history. They try to... We we are just... We're just popular We're history. storytellers, yeah. Popular history storytellers. And I think that's a better way to be than trying to, like... Yeah. Coalesce human experience into one and unified it, it, yeah, theory. Yeah, definitely. I think for most people, or where they become interested in this stuff is when they start getting that that real personal connection. Mm-hmm. Either, like, I guess, coming to understand the source material in an emotional way, or, like, for myself, when I wore an original Rhodesian Light Infantry jumpsuit for the first time, like, that was, that was something else. I thought that was... 
There's something in that. There's something in that material history or, or, or just in the emotions attached to some of the primary sources. Yeah, so TLDR, I'm big. I'm a big material history fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a big material history fan because I, I find the same emotions. I get the same emotions out of it that I do from like reading a very, very personal primary source memoir which we're going to be like covering next right again we mentioned and we go on by will Bird and storm of steel the storm of steel sorry by ernst younger as the next books that we're going to be covering we're going to be covering a few more books in rhodesia the bush war in rhodesia the extraordinary combat memoirs of a rhodesian reconnaissance specialist dennis crocomp and bush war operator by who i consider a homie Andrew James Bellum of the Salute Scouts. Both dudes, Salute Scouts, both dudes still alive that I've had the great privilege of being in contact with. Amazing, amazing primary source memoirs that we're going to be looking at. And I'll kind of be leading those just because I... Well, I've actually yeah. talked to both of the dudes <laughs> yeah. and they've got some interesting perspective. And obviously I'm helping Andrew Bellum right now sell a bunch of Salute Scouts wallets here in North America. Unfortunately, at the time of recording this, we've sold out entirely, but we're bringing more in from South Africa. They're beautiful wallets, if you've seen. Mm-hmm. Handmade by Jerry Silliers of the Rhodesian Light nice. Infantry, and they're very nice wallets, yeah. I digress. I'll be covering those. You're going to be covering a few, or leading the coverage. Yeah, there's too. some other uh, books we're going to be looking at from our friends at certain publishing house, which you'll have to you'll have, you'll to, have to watch. Listen, yeah. You have to listen to the um, Ernst Jünger podcast. We shill for it pretty hard. We there. we, we shill for it pretty hard. I, I like these guys; they're friends of mine. Uh, and there's some other books of theirs that we're definitely going to be taking a look at. Uh, one of them is Always with Honor, which is the memoirs of a certain Pyotr Wrangel, who was a Russian general during the First World War and the Russian Civil War, and the book is basically a telling of his experiences as the last white Russian general to basically pull out of the Russian Civil War. And the Russian Civil War is something I find very interesting because it's basically like someone took a giant country and gave everyone guns and said, Go nuts! <laughs> you get a gun, you get a gun, yeah. you get a gun. Yeah, it's exactly. like Oprah. Yeah. Oprah, you get a gun, you except get a tank, you get an armored train. So it's Trotsky. <laughs> yeah. Trotsky and Oprah. And we're also going to be looking at a trilogy of books. We'll probably break them up a bit, maybe have some other content Mm -hmm. in between them. I I also want to make sure we uh, include a good amount of Rhodesia and looking at the the Great War and World War II. Handbook on Revolutionary Warfare. Handbook on Revolutionary Warfare. We kind of have to do that one. We have to do that one. Uh, Look from the other side of many of the African Bush Wars. The so-called terrorist side of all these Bush Wars. The Revolutionary Wars. The Portuguese Colonial War. South African Border War, Rhodesian Bush War. Uh, basically, the yeah. high, higher level commanders were all reading this book, mm-hmm. the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare. I'm not going to try to pronounce the African word for it, and it was yeah, it's quite it's quite the book because it goes over the terrorist mentality, yeah. and it's just it's, it's just more show- of a manifesto yeah, than a book. But yeah, no, not no, no, no. I I found personally, it was almost like an instruction manual. Yeah, well, I was not just saying in terms of length rather than book, like book kind of. I yeah, it's so I'm short, being really yeah. stupid and tactical okay. here. Never mind. Yeah, it's it is a shorter it is a shorter read. Yes, but it is it's like an instruction mm-hmm. manual on how to conduct a guerrilla war, and it's interesting because I I feel like the Rhodesians 
definitely must have read it because there's just some things well, are like they absolutely must this have. is how we can shut these people down because we're going to apply their own tactics and use them against these terrorists and a lot of it is to do with destroying or building morale right putting people in certain places and making sure that they're safe and feel protected and they feel part of this like Rhodesian Republic and, and that's what the communists were trying to do right is to have education and build and not and focus not destroying an infrastructure but focusing on making the other side look bad yes. as much as possible right hearts and minds Jim Gant Jim Gant's little treatise later on during the second Iraq war global war on terror very famously one tribe at a time Right, which was which was David Petraeus's kind of handbook echoes a lot of the same stuff, right? It's when it's like written down, it seems pretty simple to do, but to implement it is to, is a lot harder. But it's interesting that an idea that was or ideas, I should say, that were applied during the global war on terror to mixed results, but generally when they were applied, were very successful. Show up in the nineteen sixties in this like relatively obscure African publication on just how to how to have an effective insurgency. And when you read it you come to understand how to defeat an insurgency at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because you understand what they're trying to do and what their what their psychology is. Because it comes from a pretty successful guerrilla leader who I, I think at the time of writing it is exiled but uh, from Ghana, but it it's it's interesting. He gives interesting perspective. Having, despite not being a military man, he just knows how to convince people, especially in a less developed country like like Ghana, and certainly some parts of Rhodesia. Even during the Bush War, were very very undeve- underdeveloped, and yeah, there's just certain things that a first world army and first world ish soldiers or Western soldiers just will never quite grasp unless they like deep dive into certain cultures because there's just some cultures that are leading insurgencies all around the world right now are just so radically different and you really have to go full Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> to, to understand and, and get into them. You have to get into your mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. It's all mindsets. It's not, it's not body counts. That was the biggest mistake of the Vietnam war. It's and not body counts. I'd say to some extent, also the Rhodesian Bush war. We talked about that. When yeah. We yeah. Because they, working. they started, they had a they had a wing that there was like factions in the whole Rhodesian military systems. There were people that were like, let's just get kill counts. They'll buckle, and then there are those that were like, no, we need to continue just a low level war. Be sneaky, get into their heads, and we can win this, right? And honestly, a lot of the kill count stuff didn't didn't do a lot of good for them. Another book we need to look at is which we mentioned during Chris Cox's is the Dirty War book. Oh yes, the chemical warfare in Rhodesia, mm-hmm. and that was one of those things that yeah. the chemical war was another way to try and use, win it. Yeah, yeah, to, with kill counts. Mm-hmm. It was all ki- like kill counts or the unmeasurable metric, the immeasurable metric rather, like the victory points or whatever you want to I don't know brownie points with the people honestly they're brownie points it's winning brownie points with the people that's the harder one to win and it's it's in some ways kind of cheaper so it feels like they're not doing anything that's the thing it's just it's hard to 
have an objective measure? Are you making a difference? In Malaya, they're able to make a big difference. If any of you guys have studied the Malayan confrontation, or sorry, the, that's the Borneo confrontation, Malayan, Malayan emergency. Uh, emergency, they had huge successes because the population was on their side. Mm-hmm. Right, they played into every ethnic and political division. Yeah. They played into family divisions. Um, there, I've read stuff like they were implying that they would basically send propaganda out to communist guerrillas, saying like, "We're gonna, we're gonna bang your wives if you don't come back out of the bush." And the guys were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" And they like apparently came out of the bush and gave up their arms. There's stuff like it's just you get in people's minds. Yeah. Ger- Gerald Templer, who led that, it was quite a very. I think very he, astute sort of commander. Yeah, definitely. Um, he managed to. Uh, yet he did lots of very imaginative things. For example, there were all these um, ethnic Chinese who were living in basically the woods, and a lot of them made up the guerrillas. Yep. So he took them into the cities and gave them like free housing and jobs because it, he figured now you won't be able to hide in the trees anymore, and you'll be too busy to go out and shoot things. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, as I was saying, we kind of went on a bit of a tangent there. But yeah, I want to. I think a lot of people are going to be very interested in things looking at um, the Bush Wars and the Great War and World War II, and we're definitely going to cover a lot of books on those topics. But we also want to look at some of the more quote unquote, I guess, exotic or unfamiliar wars, and we're going to do that a little bit with uh, a trilogy of books written oh, by yes, an English yes. adventurer called Peter Kemp. Uh, the first book of his is Minor of Trouble, which is where he runs off and fights in the Spanish Civil War, which is a very, not very well-known conflict, but it was kind of a, a proxy well, I, I'd war say it's well-known, more and more well-known now, because yes. of, like, Antifa and stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, their flag is from, it's it, from like, the, the, all the three, the three, no, the three deciding eras is from Germany, but the black and... Red the, like flag. the anarchy flag. The anarchy flag. And the syndicalist flag. Is from the that, CNT, which yep. was the Spanish labor sort of union which yeah. uh, fought on the Republican side. Kemp fights on the nationalist side. He fights on the, the winning side. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, yes. Uh, yes. Always, a good, always a good thing to be on the winning side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then after, his second book, No Colors or Crest, talks about World War Two, but a lesser known part of World War Two, which is the Special Operations Executive and the Commando Raiders, which were irregular units to and, and quote, even and an irregular theater of war, a weird theater of war. Then very not weird a, theater. Not of people war. about yeah to set Europe ablaze because a lot of that book takes place in Albania, which, as we all know, how many movies and many series do you know about Albania in World War Two? Yes, as we all know, life. Life doesn't get easier. You just become Albanian. <laughs> yeah. They are a very, very tough people, and that comes across in the... It's a very interesting, very unusual country. Yes. And yes. it's it that certainly comes across in the book. And yeah, and he talks a bit about Poland in World War Two as well in that book. Is he in Poland? Yes, at the very end. Wow. Yeah, bit of a... Bit, oh. We're lots of spoilers today. Well, I'm excited for these ones, yeah. Yes, so and people- finally, he's in going to the... Malayan crisis, he is in, first of all, French Indochina, and secondly, uh, Bali, and some of the Indonesian Mm -hmm. islands, sort of overseeing the decolonization process there, and he's sort of fighting guerrillas. That's the third book called Alms for Oblivion. They all have kind of unusual titles, but Kemp's books are very well written, much like uh, Ernst Jünger's Storm of Steel, they both have a very literary streak to them. I am super excited. I'm yes. super excited for these, and hopefully you guys are 
R2. And we, you know, we study this stuff, especially counterinsurgency wars. Even though the conventional wars are just kind of cool too, but the counterinsurgency stuff is interesting. And there's there's almost more stuff psychologically you have to bear in mind or take into consideration rather of just people's emotions and loyalties and national groups, subnational groups, mm-hmm. personal interests, personal interests, right? Tribal interests, whatever. Honestly, it, my... it all it all you know. I gotta say this: it it applies for myself, like in the business world. It's all because today, with obviously, I run an e-commerce business. It's all subtle guerrilla tactics, right? That we use to market. We don't we don't have TV, television ads. We're not at the Super Bowl. We don't have a big fancy warehouse and a nice fancy store. It's all sneaky, like, hey kid, you want brushstroke kind of <laughs> stuff. That's that's the that's the marketing that we do, and. It's it's guerrilla warfare in its own way. Well, I was, I was, minus the minus the you know war crimes part. <laughs> <laughs> but heck, whatever happened to those competitors of yours? You were telling well, me. I don't about? know. <laughs> no. I don't know how they ended up in that mass grave. <laughs> and they walked right into it and fell. Well, I was just going to say my favorite people to read about in any war are like the adventurers and the, the, the war profiteers <laughs> and the people are basically just there to like make money or do crazy stuff yeah. like those in my opinion are the most interesting people they they can be quite scummy people but they are the most interesting not the most moral yeah i mean like basil zarnoff who is basically a a real life super villain who sold arms to both sides of the first world war he's called the merchant of death the other, the other uh, one we have to look at probably is uh, Witten's memoir. The one guy who was the trooper, or sorry, he was a he was a lieutenant in the Bushveld Carboneers. He was the one guy that was not executed when Breaker Morant and Lieutenant, what's his name, Huford? No, Peter something. Peter something. But that the other veterinary lieutenant lieutenant was executed with Breaker Morant in the Boer War. The one guy that they didn't execute that they sentenced to life in prison wrote a book that was published, I think, in the twenties, going over kind of like morality and and the Nuremberg defense and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which is another interesting to look thing to look at because these guys were basically the first British soldiers to have ever been honestly like military history, the first people to have ever been executed for war crimes. And it's interesting because they they had some pretty compelling arguments, and a lot of Australians obviously are still pissed off at the fact that they more or less sacrificed these guys at the altar of not only public opinion, and I, by sacrifice I mean shot them, <laughs> yeah. like li- literally, not not yeah. figure of speech, like literally sacrificed these men who were guilty of doing far less heinous crimes than what a lot of their British colleagues were doing, notably. A certain Captain Taylor who was like killing every civilian, black or white, that he came across during the Boer War. What was his name? I think it was John Taylor, Captain John Taylor. I'll look him up. I am not familiar with him, to be quite honest. Let me let me get you a name, because he's he's quite famous. He he should be. I am literally looking him up live on the podcast, guys. So I do apologize for this slight delay. Two seconds. I will get you a name here. So, the name of this guy. Oh, here we go. Captain Taylor, Captain Alfred Taylor. The the Netabili actually had a name for him. They called him Balala, 
which means the one the one who kills. Yeah, yeah, he had a reputation in Rhodesia when he showed up there as with the BSAC of just schwacking. So he'd go into villages apparently and just start. He'd like start shooting in the. We're not sure exactly because a lot of the testimony is muddled. When when you when you're dealing with, especially Nedabili elders, they speak very parabolically. Uh-huh. So nothing's ever direct. That's why they call them Balal. It's like a nickname. Yeah. They never said Captain Taylor killed this many, like eight people in our village. And it's just like he, Balala came by again. It's implied like he's killed people or whatever. But he'd show up to villages in the 1890s and he'd just start shooting up in the air or like, you know, just like bumping into people with his horse until somebody's like, hey, stop. And then he'll start shooting. So he was, quote unquote self defense. He was literally picking fights, but yes. Like. And then he and then he did this in the 1890s in in what later became Rhodesia, and then he did this again in the Boer War. It, this time with white Afrikaner civilians, he'd run into them with his horse or whatever, or kick them, quote unquote, accidentally. They would retaliate. They would like shove. They'd be like, "Dude, stop!" And he'd be like, "How dare you!" And then like kill multiple. So he was on trial for killing, I think, eight or nine civilians. And like missionaries and stuff, um, Breaker Morant never, per, Harry Breaker Morant never killed a civilian. And I think he killed, he ordered the killing of three prisoners of war because they didn't have, it's, it's a long convoluted story, I won't get into it. But his, he, if we're going to look at the body count, he killed less people and the people he killed were not civilians. Personally, I so, actually do not know the story yeah. of Breaker we'll, we'll, Morant, so we'll it'd be to, interesting to read about. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it's the first kind of war crimes trial ever uh-huh. under the new Geneva Convention and stuff. Like it's the yes. first war crimes trial, and these guys are executed. And Taylor is never executed; he lives until the 1940s. He settles in right. Rhodesia, makes a lot of money after the war. He stays in Africa. He's still Balala. He still has a rap. <laughs> the man who kills. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Can you imagine having a name like that? That's yeah, no, that's, that, that's a that's a pretty strong indication yeah. of his rep. But yeah, he yeah. started stuff. Yeah, he he was he was a bit of a sadist. There are sadists sounds... in military history. Those are oh, some absolutely. serious sadists. That sounds like it. And yeah. I I like to look at their how they become sadists. It's interesting. Oh. It's interesting. Or, or were they always? That were they way? always sadists? You know, because yes. there is that. Is the what is the I think it's the Dave Grossman thing that there's always this there's there's one psychopath in every platoon. Yeah. Right? And it's just like you have to regulate that person. So there's there's always stuff like that. It's, it's very cross disciplinary, you know? It's very, very cross disciplinary with uh military history. You look at that psychology. So that's that's why we looked at it. Yeah. Looking at this stuff. It applies to the business world, it applies to like psychology and just knowing mm-hmm. are you that psychopath? Are you are you Balala? Would you be Balala in his shoes? Or would you be like a completely squeaky clean, morally upstanding? Like, I would never do that kind of... Like, would you actually? Yeah. Of course, ordinary men would be one to look at. That's a bit of a darker oh, one. Oh, the... Uh, yeah, no, the the one about the... Uh, the, the police. The, the, ger- reserve, the, the reserve German police, police battalion yeah. that basically massacred <laughs> yeah. a bunch of uh, Jewish people during the... You know, that is a very interesting yeah. book. Because looking it's a at, transformation of these... Well, yeah, and in, in what's funny about in that book is there's one character who's a psychopath, the rest are not. They are. Have you read it? Yes. So you've read it? Okay. Yeah, they are... Um, I, I read it for a World War II class in college. They are normal, again, ordinary men. Yep. The, they're they're just, acclimatized yeah. in a pre-Nazi world, too. Yeah, who don't... Yeah. 
don't necessarily want to do this thing, but they keep doing it and they become more and more acclimatized to it. And yeah. it's not so much that they grow to like doing it, but it just becomes like a job. Yeah. And it's a very interesting look at That'd like the cool. mindset yeah. of who of what like for example the final solution or similar atrocities like the Armenian genocide or Stalin's purges or Mao's this, cultural this, revolution. The, the Breaking How, Ranch trial has a lot of Yeah. Because basically for these guys they they become acclimatized to uh killing prisoners of war. That's the that's the because I think most of it is to deal with they don't have the facilities because they're literally they're a mounted unit, the Bushveld Carpeneers. They're in the field, they're in the boonies. And really the, the, the point of contention, just for context here, is because their commanding officer gets killed. Their commanding officer, before he's killed, issues very vague, pretty vague orders that Lord Kitchener has told us that every Boer captured wearing British khaki, so a British uniform, is more or less a spy and we have to execute immediately. And then somehow this gets mistranslated to kill all prisoners. This guy, Captain Hunt, gives the order, kill all prisoners, very vaguely. Like, hey, I just heard from high command, like, we gotta kill all prisoners. And then he's killed in action. So these young lieutenants are left to interpret the orders in the middle of nowhere, before the era of radios and, and, yeah. and messengers. And so they're in the middle of nowhere in the field, and they're like, okay, well, we have some prisoners here. Well, one of the guys later that they, uh, the boars they capture later on is wearing the uniform of their deceased CO. So obviously they're not happy with this guy wearing their yeah. deceased CO's uniform. Their commanding officer had been mutilated, actually by like local local Hosa tribes, but they thought the boars had mutilated him. But the Hosa tradition is if a warrior's killed in combat, you have to disembowel him to let his spirit come out. The right? Zulus do the same. Yeah, thing, Zulus right? do the yeah. same thing. So the Hosa cut up open this guy's stomach because they're like as a sign of honor like we have to let this mm -hmm. spirit leave him they're, they weren't combatants in this in the, in, yeah. at least in this skirmish but they showed up all they see is their disfigured and mutilated commanding officer he's missing his coat and suddenly there's a boar wearing his coat so they shoot the boar and then, mm -hmm. and then things spiral out of control they start executing a whole bunch of people they kill a German missionary who has nothing to do with any of this stuff and we get the trial and we have that memoir I I think it's like Scapegoats of Empire is the name of the book but it's an interesting one so that'd be a good like two parts here Scapegoats of Empire and then Ordinary Men yes we can show it at a, at a very micro level at like an individual case and a bigger macro level at like a unit level where the institution acclimatizes people to commit atrocities also uh, My Lie Massacre that'd be fun is there a, uh, is there a memoir on that one? Or I there's a lot of books. We probably find one. Yeah. Find one. Or you just talk about it in general. There's so many yeah, sources. That was on a, it. Yeah. That was that was, a, it. was, a, it was just another yeah. acclimatization, like a unit atmosphere thing. Yeah, I, I've read about that because again, they start normal. Then with them, it's interesting because it's it's the opposite of ordinary men. Ordinary men, they become basically like machines. They're just yeah. like see civilian kill. See, yep. yeah. I have orders. I fire them. Well, in my life, it's like they went berserk. Like, it's it's a yeah. different... It's like yeah. rage and, like, sort of anger and sadism. It's a like it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pure a sadism. It's a different yeah. thing. It's like... One's like the dehumanization, and the other's like the animalistic turn, like, sort of of... Yep. Yeah. Like, one's becoming a machine, the other's becoming, like, sort of a madman. I, I think for... With Breaker Moran and, like, scapegoats of Empire, it was... It's kind of a bit of both... 
True, it's kind of yeah. a bit of both. So it's interesting. We should look at all three. Yes, we should. Those War, would be War fun. Crimes trilogy. War Crimes Trilogy. War Crimes Trilogy. Not that, well, you know, War uh, Crimes this, are discussed. This, this podcast is going to get booted off the <laughs> online so quickly. They're making War Crimes jokes. Yeah. They wandered into those mass graves again. Oh they, wandered into our, <laughs> they wandered into our bullets and they fell into the mass graves. What's the problem, you know? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we we anyways we have a lot of books that we're we're probably going to cover, and we're very excited. Uh, it's going to be a yes. good year for us, I think, and hopefully a good year for you guys. Mm-hmm. As as many of you know, like we have a su- subscribe star where you can support us and continue, so that we can continue doing this. We do appreciate the support because it's bought us a mic, which is awesome, like mm-hmm. a better mic here. And if you want to su- support us on subscribe star, you could find us subscribestar dot com. Slash Fire Force Ventures. You could also support my business, Hank's business, www.fireforceventures.com, where we're going to be hopefully shipping out all your pre orders and Rhodesian brushstroke stuff soon here and having more Rhodesian brushstroke and stock, more stock, even though it's been a rough year for us. And you can also find us as well on commandoblog.com. Our friends there are very, very good friends. And we'll, we'll, we'll just keep cracking on with this podcast. I think we're going to have a lot of fun, mm. fun discussions about. Everything from war crimes to coin, because it kind of it all applies to everyday, not necessarily everyday life, but just like big macro concepts in people's lives, in business. And didn't I literally decisions. spend like thirty minutes ago was talking about how we should shouldn't be applying this? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we shouldn't be applying this in what? No, I just said that, like, for me, the most interesting part of history is just that the stories in themselves. I find a lot of people try to condense. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Stuff, and it can be like it's not that you can't learn things from history. Absolutely, you can. I'm just saying that I find a lot of people that's the only reason they go into history, and like you're not. Yeah, it's a problem. You're not going to get a clear cut rule book for life or human nature or whatever just by studying. We we will still be telling stories. Yes, and we're going to be focusing on those Mm -hmm. stories because everyone's different, and every situation is different. Like there are similarities, but the. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We learn a lot from these stories, but like we have, like we want to look specific. We're going to be delving into the stories. Yes. Not the politics and the. Because sociology. Oh my God. We're not sociologists. No, we Sociologists didn't. suck. That's why we didn't, we didn't go no, to sociology. No, no comment. <laughs> Just no comment. Anyway. Sociology sucks. You heard it here. That's your official stance. Imagine being a sociologist. Okay, so appreciate. You guys listening to us, as always, this has been a very open-ended kind of random podcast. We've kind of discussed what happened with our Christmas podcast, just a mm-hmm. technical fail. We talked about, well, my business situation at Fire Force Ventures. Talked a little bit about Armenia, Azerbaijan, so I'm glad we fit that yeah. together. And uh, just future books and what and we're talking knives. about. <laughs> the knives we fidget with. I was trying to do more of a, well, I guess we can do it now. We still have a few minutes, so Bindu. I'll throw some more questions at you. Okay. It only took us an hour to get to this. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to get to this at the beginning. I want to ask, uh, because we didn't introduce ourselves really at the beginning of the podcast too much. No, we've... I gave you a little bit of background on you. You've given a little more background on yourself today and, and your views on things and how you you like to look at things. But And your book. We talked about yes, your, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're a novelist. Yeah. What, uh, what else brings you into military history? And and gear and mill syrup and stuff and your French Foreign Legion hat that you have on the table right now. Like yes. what what brings you? Yeah. Why why this old smelly stinky stuff? I mean that is a big question. I think I've already answered part of it. Is I actually 
No, I, I have a good answer for this, and it ties into everything that I've been sort of saying this podcast. I know I'm flogging a dead horse here, but I just, I love stories. Whether they're fictional or non-fictional, I like to read about interesting people and sort of the journeys that they go through, the triumphs and the tragedies, and not just of people, but of nations and of governments and of organizations. I find just that fascinating. I'm somebody who... I think the human condition is something that needs to be immersed into. I, I don't look at... The opposite of me would be looking at people sort of just as numbers and sort of clinical, very clinical sort of cold way of looking yeah. at it. I prefer to just sort of immerse myself in human behavior and human uh, experience just because I, I find we are fascinating and what we do and the stories we create in our own heads and the lives we live our own stories are fascinating well you're you're like yeah i'm 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 (laughs) yes i'm a bit you can tell i'm a bit of an author but anyway yeah history can be full of full of stories great uh great stories but quite nasty stories as well and you know filled with mass graves whether they're caused by balala or covid in this year how very pleasant uh, we'll start off uh, 2021 on that note. We'll end up on yes. the, in the same mass grave, but at least we'll have read a lot of books yes. <laughs> before that. And so, yeah, in, in closing, again, if you want to support this podcast and what we do, having le- learned a little bit about us and what we do and our, our passions, you can find us on Subscribestar, right? Subscribestar.com slash Ventures, which actually goes to the Men Among Men podcast. It links directly to our podcast. All the money does not go to the Fire Force Ventures, my business. You can support Fire Force Ventures at www.fireforceventures.com, which is my business. If you want to support this podcast specifically in the production, which has, which is a completely separate entity from Fire Force Ventures, even though we're hosted there, subscribestar.com slash Ventures. You can support us there. It's a different company because I think Fire Force Ventures is actually running... It's like a trademark, I guess. It's a brand name. Uh-huh. Super convoluted, but we are we are actually distinct. So yeah, legally, sub, distinct. Yeah, legally distinct, different bank accounts and all the rest. Subscribestar.com slash Fireforce Ventures. I know it says Fireforce Dent Ventures, but that's easier than saying Men Among Men podcast. Just a branding thing. So you can still find us there. We might change it down the road, maybe in the future when we get more of a following or whatnot. If you want to support my business again, fireforceventures.com. I've said it 30 times now, but neglected to mention our good friends at Commando Blog. They're awesome too. Please check them out. Excellent articles, other podcasts, videos, reviews, cool, cool media stuff that they're doing right now. Unfortunately, they're not going to be at SHOT Show this year because it's been canceled. They're there last year. But hopefully 2022, they'll get some wicked footage at a SHOT Show if it's still even happening. Because SHOT Show is cancelled. I can't even go to SHOT Show now. I was, I was looking forward to that. But maybe 2022 we can do a live podcast in Vegas. How's that, Mindy? It's a date. Not that you have good experiences with Vegas. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> not that you, not that <laughs> yes. you have to, We won't get into that. I'll, I'll, I'll just put it game. this way. I'm good with gambling. I'm bad with women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we won't uh, we won't get into that. We'll have to have an hour long Vegas podcast where you tell us what happened last time you were in Vegas. We'll have to record it in Vegas. 
Can't we talk about something fun like the history of the mob? <laughs> the history of the mob. No, we'll have to talk about the history of Bindu. The military history of Bindu. The no, Vegas the, the campaign. Of, the Vegas offensive. Yeah, the Vegas offensive. Did not go well. No, it did not go yeah. well. <laughs> Just lots of That's like saying Operation Barbosa yeah. missed a couple of its objectives. <laughs> yeah. So, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, so we'll have to go to Vegas to record it. We'll have to, yeah, the Vegas... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Just the Vegas offensive. We'll, we'll, we'll explain the story one day to you guys. But that being said, again, our friends at Commando Blog are awesome. They'll hopefully be at SHOT Show in 2022, but they still putting out very, very con- good content despite COVID, gun reviews, breakdowns, histories, lifestyle stuff. They're getting more into lifestyle stuff. And, of course, through us, a little bit of history. And maybe we'll even put some articles here and there up. This year, just either either by you, Bindu, or, or myself, if uh, we can get off our keisters and do it. But 2021 should be a more productive year, I think, for everybody. Probably will. And to all of our very, very awesome Virus Club listeners and supporters on Subscribestar, we don't do the Patreon or anything. The only way to get money to us is through Subscribestar, because they're the only ones that won't demonetize us. <laughs> Because we're idiots, so yep. we uh, we love you guys. Thank you for this, your support. Thank you especially for uh, Jonathan G, who donated recently to us a big big chunk of amount. We yeah. sincerely appreciate that. As promised, we shout you guys out if you do donate to the podcast. So Jonathan G, thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And we basically shout out everybody who who donates to a certain certain tier. Uh-huh. Um, we love our turbo chads, obviously the most. Yes. Su- support us on Subscribestar if you like this show. Helps us keep going. To all of our Buyers Club fans, to all of our listeners, we're wishing you a very, very happy 2021. To all of the first responders out there that have been working very diligently throughout this New Year period, all the law enforcement, military, whatever line you are holding. And you are still continuing to hold it despite all this. Many thanks to you guys. Uh, we honestly can't imagine what it's like to be in your shoes right now in these unprecedented times. So <laughs> somebody just sneezed upstairs. I think it is time to end this podcast. thunderous a sneeze. thunderous sneeze upstairs. I believe, that is giant. Our, I believe that is our signal to carry on and uh, end this podcast. <laughs> so any, any, any final thoughts? Yes. Grab a chibouli, pull up, and have yourself a very happy new year. Happy 2021.